Sequel Cast 2 and Friends is a part of the HyperX Podcast Network. Everybody across the land, here's a special from Sequel Cast, though I don't know what it's gonna be about. Maybe Woody Allen, maybe Spike Lee, maybe Technicolor, maybe 3D, or maybe Hello and welcome to Sequelcast 2 and Friends. This time around, we are uh, doing a Sequelcast special show on an actor that surprisingly announced his retirement, uh, Bruce Willis. You know, we, we had talked about him a few times before on this show, uh, doing the Die Hard and Expendables series um, quite some time ago. But it's uh, he, he was really a, a, a sort of legend Hollywood star, and you don't really see that many kind of Hollywood stars in that mold. It was, I mean, really the Expendables, right? It was Schwarzenegger, Stallone, and Willis, and they're kind of the, and they also did Planet Hollywood together and stuff. They're trying kind of a triumvirate. So it's just uh, just one of those things that's, uh, that's a real bummer. Uh, but we'll be talking about his career. Uh, I'm Matt. With me is Alex. Hey, you drink Seagrams, it tastes real good. Hey, you drink Seagrams, you'll go to heaven. Thrasher. Yabba dabba doo dabba deeba dabba dabba. How many times can this happen to the same guy? <laughs> yeah, which I only uh, did because Alex, you stole my Seagram's intro. <laughs> <laughs> I had it all planned out. Damn. Oh, we can wrap it up with your Seagram's. <laughs> There's enough Seagram's to go around, people. That's true. Great show, everybody. No, yeah. So we were talking about <laughs> uh, Bruce Willis because he. Um, publicly announced his, his retirement due to he has uh, aphasia, which is something that, uh, among other things, uh, from what I could understand, affects uh, memory and... It, it, he, can, it can also really heavily affect your ability to to speak and sort of process language. I don't know if it affects... It kind of like... Yeah. yeah I'm, not, was... I'm not sure if it affects your ability to like read and write, but, it's, but it definitely affects your ability to speak and, and understand what is spoken to you. If I remember I believe, my bio no. class from last year, it's basically like the kind of effects that would happen to, that would happen to someone who had suffered a major stroke. Like, mm. you're basically right. like, oh, like, what's this in under my blanket? Oh, shit, it's my leg. Um, you know, what do I do with this thing? Is it a pencil? A pen? What? You know what I mean? It's just... It's but while stroke, people can sometimes, especially if they're younger and they have it, uh, can recover from, uh, you know, aphasia is... is I'm not going to say a death sentence, although I just did, but it, it's just really something that that's once it starts declining, it's going to, at least with the way medicine currently is, it's going to keep on declining. Um, I imagine we'll see, we might see him pop up as a cameo in something somewhere. I always think never say never, but totally. who knows? Um, well, pr- presumably there'll be like, there'll be like a tribute to him at the Oscars next year or something. 
Man, yeah, yeah. Maybe they'll be gracious true. and like give him a lifetime achievement award or something like that. Yeah, because he was in the kind of movies that don't really get. I mean, he did some some drama things, notably. But I mean, I think we should just go through his career chronologically and say what jumps out. But before we do that, uh, just sort of setting the stage, you know, Bruce Willis was a uh, a bartender in in New York and uh, apparently a really good one. And uh, a casting agent, you know, cast him in a movie and he did some, you know, brief kind of TV stuff here and there. And um, later on became, you know, one of the top uh, top paid superstars in the world, uh, transitioning from um, comedy into action, which is quite the flex. And he basically stayed in, in action mode for uh, most of his career. Well, I think that's something that you you never hear about it, but I think that's one of the cool things about Bruce Willis is that he was a theater nerd. Uh, he he was just kind of like a, a shrimpy kid uh, who had a pronounced stutter, but then he got involved in his like middle school's drama club and found that like public speaking and performing helped him control his stutter, and like that's just what he did. He did theater uh for for years and i like you can especially in his early work you can see that he's a theater guy yeah it's interesting because his background i kind of relate to it a lot like the bartender thing the theater thing because like mm-hmm. i don't see him as like a glee club kid obviously and i i can see him you know attending bar and slinging drinks and stuff but i don't see him as like a bar bro you know what i mean and that's kind of like right my right in a nutshell, and, you know, I can see him as a guy cracking jokes and, you know, as being, uh, you know, just being respectful and treating the guests first is as, uh, as, uh, when I worked in the restaurant industry, that was the big thing. Um, although I was, uh, back of the house, not front of the house, uh, for those not in the know, that means you're working, uh, just in the kitchen away from the, uh, good old general public. But, uh, I think, no, I think that's a great point. And you mentioned the theater thing. I was mentioning the, the expendables connection, and Stallone, uh, who I always talk about more than I should on the show, he uh, went studied theater at University of Miami and was doing stuff like um, uh, Pablo Picasso plays and uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame and like all these things that people usually wouldn't associate him with. Right. Yeah. Well, it's just one yeah. of those things too, where it's like you know, I fucking you know, I have my gruffy fucking restaurant manager, no nonsense side, but you know, I also have my fucking artistic endeavors and stuff as well. And yeah, it's just yeah. kind of like you know, you can have your cake and eat it too, man. That's and how and I that, feel. yeah, and, and that makes it I think sort of relatable as far as uh, actors go. Although he certainly was in, in in physical shape and stuff, he didn't look like a professional bodybuilder like Schwarzenegger. Or he didn't have a whole bunch of plastic surgery like uh, some other actors and stuff, right? He looked like a normal guy. Well, yeah, he looked that, like your dad. Or he looked like a regular mm-hmm, dude. Mm-hmm. Well, at, at, dad the risk, at the risk of skipping ahead, that's part of the reason why Die Hard works so well. He looks like an everyman because he's not jacked. Like he, 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 he yeah, when yeah, he's yeah. wearing clothes, he's skinny. When when he when his muscles start to get exposed, oh yeah, you can see he's cut, but like he's a reedy guy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah well, I think before we, we jump ahead, why don't we each share, I think, the first time we saw Bruce Willis in something. Uh, for me, it is what you just mentioned, Die Hard. Uh, we had rented it on videotape. And one thing my dad said at the time, um, which is interesting because he didn't really play too many video games except maybe like Operation Wolf or, or Duck Hunt or the, the gun ones, right? Operation or, or Wolf. Or, yeah, that's a great one uh, with the, the arcade machine, especially as it had the experience. 
um, or, or the T2, the arcade game, right? But um, but anyway, you know, the Bruce Willis stuff. Uh, he showed Die Hard. My dad mentioned, oh, this movie is very video gamey. He's going from room to room picking up new weapons. And I thought <laughs> that's, that's pretty apt because it's smart, not yeah. a video game movie, but it does kind of have that structure. And there's a very odd Nintendo game based off it. I used to love the the arcade game that um, was kind of like Final Fight or something, but it was that early like PlayStation 1 style polygonal stuff. I, yeah. I believe it had a Dreamcast port in um, Japan or something, but it, yeah, it really was quite, uh, as far as a movie that makes you into a star, I mean, what what a picture. It's just, just iconic. Um, Alex, when's the first time you saw Bruce Willis in something? Um, I'm punching the same card. It's definitely Die Hard. And it was, Is it? Yeah. Yeah, and it was one of those things where, again, seeing a movie I'm way too young to see. And it, it was weird, though, because, like, it's like the thing with, like, Schwarzenegger or Stallone is that, like, you have the star power, and it almost kind of, like, subverts, like, the ultra-violence in the movie. Is that, like, it's okay, Bruce Willis is here. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't Dolph Lundgren or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was, like, a household name, and for some reason that just kind of, like, padded it a little bit. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, in the marketing for Die Hard, they uh, tried not to show it was about the building and the posters and stuff. They didn't want to say that Bruce Willis was in it because they thought people would laugh. Um, I, the closest comparison I can make is like uh, at least the theater I was in when we started having previews for uh, Born Identity. Uh, the audience started laughing because it was Matt Damon. Yeah, he is a pretty boy from fucking Boston. The, you know? A pretty well, boy well, from Boston. Uh, well, like what what really made like Bruce Willis a star at at that point was on television on Moonlighting, which which is yeah. a comedy and is a, and he plays a very kind of goofy right. character. Well, and, and Thrasher, what about yourself? When did you first see Bruce Willis in something? For for me, for me, it, it was also you no know, Die Hard. I think I told this story when we covered it, but I couldn't sleep, and my parents were watching Die Hard on like probably HBO. Eh. So I just kind of wandered in and watched the second half of the movie with them. And but but I will but I will say this: like what what kind of got me into him as an actor was watching reruns of Moonlighting on Bravo back when Bravo used to show opera. Ah. If you remember those days and like he was just yeah. this, this this goofball ray of sunshine on that show. And there's this bit because because Moon, Moonlighting, it's just a bizarre show it about really hard boiled detectives. But everyone quips all the time and all the cases are, are, are oddball cases. But it was so bizarre that they got a second season that the second season begins with the whole cast in a studio backlot singing a song about how weird it is that a show like theirs got a second season. <laughs> uh, and in the middle of it, like so, something happens. And then in the middle of it, like Bruce Willis, like pushes the screen off the screen to transition them into a different location. Like, like, like the image on the screen, like slides over and Bruce Willis is literally pushing it. And then he <laughs> kind of runs back into the frame and they're in a whole new location. Like, wow, that's amazing. It's, yeah, it's a trick that I learned from Bugs Bunny. It's pretty cool, right? And then they just go right into the next verse of the song. <laughs> that's so strange. I need to watch this now. You know, I, it's, funny. it's funny you mentioned trying to watch it and, and that it was on Bravo. I did forget, but you're right. When Bravo started, it was almost more like a cable version of PBS in a lot of respects. With the, it, the that's theater performances. Uh, sorry, what was that? That it uh, was the arts channel. Yes, that's yes. right. Yes. In some and, ways, it still is. No, not really. Um, 
But so, funny, whenever I think oh. of moonlighting, I always think like he's always moving around. Like he's never mm-hmm. having a like he'll like you know knock the things off the desk and sit on the desk. Then he'll get up off the desk and like talk. You know, he's always he's a very physical presence in that show. Yeah, and uh, you know, towards the end, the last year of moonlighting, he had just done Die Hard, so he wanted to go out of TV and into movies, uh-uh. and his. Uh, his co-star really wanted to... Why isn't this thing... Oh, I see. Uh, let me pull up the name of the co-star. Forgive me. Um, Sybil Shepard had become pregnant at the start of season four, so they had to kind of film around her. Often they weren't on on set, and the two of them just fought constantly. And I think that kind of added to the um, the friction their characters had on the show. And oh, unfortunately... The yeah. big thing was that it wasn't a will they, won't they. It was a will they, when they. That was the big thing with Moonlighting. <laughs> and um, apparently the, the ratings dropped once the, the characters finally um, slept with each other. Yeah, the, that sex. tension yeah. was a big part of, of of the dynamic of that show. <laughs> and uh, Moonlighting, it, it's also worth uh, mentioning, in the United... I think this is because of uh, all the musical elements, perhaps, or, or maybe it's the, the rights. It's something weird like the Batman 66 series. But in the States, you can only get the first season. However, uh, in Germany, there's a Region 2 complete series DVD, which people now are selling on Amazon for like $750 or something. Jesus, that fancy and, and, and the season uh, sets are sell for over 100 apiece. I haven't checked eBay yet, but I imagine... Um, once the Bruce Willis news dies down, uh, there the prices may drop. But you can find a better deal on on eBay or find maybe someone uploaded videotapes to YouTube or something. But like right. that, a show was such a was a major major hit. Went on for four seasons, and you can only get the first season. When um, it, especially it sounds like when they can release like all ten seasons of All in the Family or something. Like it's right. just. It's odd to me. Oh, it was weird because we couldn't get all of Twin Peaks forever. You could get the first mm -hmm, season, mm -hmm. then like years later, we get the second season, then the pilot you could never get all in one thing until like a few years ago. It was like the gold collection or something. Yeah. Well, well, it is it is a music rights issue because they they did they okay. did a lot of musical numbers on that show, but so many of the musical numbers they just took a pop song and recontextualized it. Like there's an episode that for no reason is set in Elizabethan England and it's all done like a Shakespeare play, and it ends with like a confrontation in a church at the wedding, and then Bruce Willis sings "Good Love." And like all the people in the pews get up and do all this background dancing, but that's a licensed song. Got to pay a lot of ASCAP fees for that. I in need fact, to watch you know, all of this. That's the only moonlighting episode I've seen. It's called Atomic Shakespeare. It was in my Shakespeare class. My teacher uh, I took in high school. My teacher brought in his old videotape. He recorded off TV, so I had the commercials and everything, which was nice. great. And we were supposed to write how many Shakespeare references you could notice, and you would get bonus points, um, which I don't know if they still do that in school. They probably do, and. It, um, I think I wrote like over 50 things because it's not just what characters say, it's stuff in the background, it's signs, it's clothes, it's yes. uh, it, it, the writing on the show was very rapid fire, like the uh, the Thin Man movies, um, the rat a tat tat tat, uh, sort of Maltese Falcon kind of Howard what do you, Hawks. What do you stuff. say? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it was really quite uh, a, a combination of drama and comedy. Uh, and it, it made Bruce Willis famous and he wanted to go into the movies. But um, one of his, looking at his IMDb list here, uh, one of his earlier movies 
actually it was his first um, feature that he had a lead in. I got to review a long time ago for uh, Battleship Pretension. I think you still write for the Alex, right? Yes, when I have time. <laughs> no, and then yeah, and uh, and this was a Blake Edwards film, one of two Bruce would do for Blake, called Blind Date. It stars him and Kim Basinger. It's not a great romantic comedy, but it stars the late Phil Hartman as his brother. Oh, wow. And has some interesting uh, business going on. Like, it's it's not great, but if you want to watch a young Bruce Willis being the lead of a movie, um, the, the, one, the second one he did with Blake Edwards that I really want to see is Sunset that stars Bruce Willis and James Garner. This That's looks like cool. a, a, a 1920s period uh, kind of... Movie, movie about uh, people trying to solve a murder at the uh, Oscars in 1929. This is a movie that, like, I have, I have, like, n- like played around with this idea in my own, like, personal creative endeavors, uh, like a film about mm. the making of a Wyatt Earp Western with Wyatt Earp in the actual, because Wyatt Earp, like, palled around with, like, fucking John Ford and stuff. Cause, like, oh, really? Did he? Okay. old these guys yeah. are. So it's such a, like, can you just imagine that? Like, John Ford, Wyatt Earp walking around, shooting the breeze. Um, so this is a story that needs to be looked into for sure. Yeah. And, the, and, and those movies aren't, um, out of print They're uh, well, they, they might be a little bit difficult to find, but it's cause it's Bruce Willis. Most of his movie stuff, at least is fairly easy to talk about. Um, Thrasher kind of looking over IMDb. We're kind of looking chronologically, maybe die hard. We can sort of skip over cause we already mentioned it and we've talked about it on the show, oh, yeah. but, but, but what are some stuff that what's a movie that kind of jumps out for you? Well, one one of my absolute favorites is uh, Death Be- Death Becomes Her, which yeah. is a, it's a Robert Zemeckis uh, film, uh, and Meryl, it's got Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn, and Bruce Willis is in it, and his character he sort of oscillates between being a member of the main cast and being a, a being a supporting player because it really is Streep and uh, and Hawn's movie. But he turns in such a good performance because because he plays he plays a kind of like weedy nerd with a bad haircut and a goofy mustache. And I I, I like it, one, because it so goes against the action movie persona that had really been built up at that point. Uh, it goes back to his comedy chops and he he could do really good comedy just in general. But he also had a sense of humor about himself, which I know we'll be talking about later, which is a real yeah, saving grace. Yeah, yeah. It also it plays by Robert that. Zemeckis. Yeah, and he just he just yeah. plays this great sensitive guy, uh, and 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 it's it's just a delightful it's just a delightful performance as this like as as this like makeup slash plastic surgery professional in Hollywood dealing with these two image obsessed stars who happen to have both drank a potion that's made them immortal. Uh, <laughs> It's got amazing special effects as well, and it's and it's when digital effects are starting to come into their own. So there's some amazing early digital effects in this film as well. Definitely check out Death Becomes Her. That is going to be my Bruce Willis movie recommendation for this episode. That movie is a lot of fun, and also I love that like it's basically like Cary Grant and like bringing up baby, like just slap a pair of glasses on like a Hollywood hunk icon. And you have a scientist. You know what I mean? I, I love it. It's a total like screwball callback to that kind of shit. It's it's a lot of fun. That movie's a great deal of fun. Right. And uh, also Bruce Willis was definitely playing against type at the time with his, um, you know, kind of nevish thing. And with a mustache, Bruce Willis just looks strange. 
and I think it's a conscious choice because you look at him and you don't think of John McClane from Die Hard or or uh, any of that stuff. Um, a movie that was a passion project for Bruce Willis that I've never seen, but I bet one of you two has, is Hudson Hawk, oh, where yes. he gets a, a story by credit. And um, it was a big uh, box office bomb. And although I wouldn't say didn't damage his career, it was certainly a punchline in a lot of late night show uh, monologues for years. Well, it's 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 the type of it's the type of movie that people like just critics and movie people in general would talk about for years. Like I remember up to the 2000s, you'd hear people making disparaging remarks about Hudson Hawk. But one, it's not really that bad. And, and two, I don't think Bruce Willis cared. He seemed to just walk that movie off. Like, didn't succeed. Oh, well, on to the next thing. But it, it's it's a movie that's so odd that it's probably worth seeing. Because what, he's like a, he's, what, like he's like a famous safe cracker who loves old swing music, who tries to steal a machine built by Leonardo da Vinci that turns lead into gold. <laughs> Interesting. And Sandra Bernhard's in it, and like everyone, every character is like a goofball, but from a completely different movie. Yeah, um, probably the first and last time they let Bruce Willis sing in a movie, though. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Alex, what's one that he did that kind of jumps out? Um, let's see. There's a lot. I mean, he he Bruce Willis is one of those dudes that like. Growing up, it's like that's like an early star that I was aware of. He was like Tom Hanks level for us. You know, mm-hmm. he was like enough to bring you to a movie. Um, I will say this might sound redundant, but one of my favorites is actually Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yeah, sure. Because he reprises the John McClane role and there's actually a lot of character development. At this point, he's totally fucking washed up. His wife has said sayonara. Um He's miserable. He's just this guy working off a hangover and he's so not into anything that's going on in the first like 40 minutes of the film. And you just seem dragged into this fucking outrageous, like, you know, line of capers. I think his chemistry with Sam Jackson is again, like really like makes the movie. Um, and he, he brings that shaggy dog character to like, while being kind of a fucking every man badass. And like, there were some moments of like Die Harder Two or whatever the whatever they called it, um, where like you know where he ejects out of the plane, like the explosion yeah. from the grenades carries him up, and like it's it's a little bit of a stretch. Um, this like there's some crazy shit that goes on in Die Hard with a Vengeance too, but um, you definitely just get that every man shaggy dog guy feel about everything, you know, like he can't really climb the freaking wire, he falls on his ass a lot, he gets shot and kicked <laughs> around. Um, I think it's my favorite Die Hard movie when I talk myself into it, actually. And I, I never thought about this until just now, but um, the way he, he lets his characters get slapped around in the action movies and stuff, I think, A, makes them more relatable and sympathetic, but B, it, it's part of why the Indiana Jones movies work so well, in that he gets the shit beat out of him constantly. It's that old-school film noir thing, like, all yeah. your private eyes in Texas get their asses kicked. And it's that's makes them relatable, because they could be you or me. And, like... In the 80s and shit, you know, this was the time of, you know, fucking Stallone and Schwarzenegger and Dolph Lundgren, I guess, is coming the guns, up against. yeah. Yeah, these guys are the, fucking jacked, Herculean, like, Adonises, you know? And then you have a guy that looks like your fucking, you know, Uncle fucking Dan, you know? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, he's but, an action star, yeah. you know? Well, I think even beyond that, uh, 
is that him, him, you know, being being always like beat up and put upon in, in those early Die Hard movies, it allows him to be both badass but also the vulnerable underdog. Totally. Yes. Um, Thrasher, there, there's a movie in here. I think you're a big fan of The Fifth Element. Yes, the the Fifth Element, like aside from just being like a fun sort of sci-fi caper, heavily influenced by a lot of European sci-fi comics, particularly the works of Moebius, also known as Jean Girard. Uh, it's, it's just a, it's a fun movie about, about a, about a New York city cabbie who gets pulled into this weird cosmic conflict. The, the, you know, the aliens are strange. The environments are strange. There's just all sorts of stuff going on in the background. Lots of cameos from people that like tiny Lister, tiny Lister is the president of earth. That's amazing. But, um, (laughs) and like if, if the star Wars prequels hadn't been made, this would be the best Star Wars film of the 90s. <laughs> well, like, and the crazy... What I love about Fifth Element is when Luc Besson was uh, writing and directing it, this was based off of, like, ideas he had for a story when he was, like, 12 or something. And it, it kind of feels like that, where a kid's slaying your story, and then this happens, and then this happens, and it doesn't really make sense. But oh, I yeah. think it's, it it, it's lovable for that. You you have uh, Chris Tucker in, in an excellent... Uh, part in this is a comedic kind of character that kind of steals the show in a few scenes. Gary Oldman is the bad guy. Seems like he's having the time of his life with whatever he's doing. It's he like modeled his character after like Ross Perot and like James Carville. That kind of like oh really? That's that kind of like like yeah. sludgy like southern uh-huh. politician, but kind of like you know a little wound up. You know what I mean? Well, well it's like and he has it, that punk haircut. Yeah. It, it, it's if George W. Bush was 20% gay. That's Mr. Zork. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty That's much. great. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, of course, you have a young Mila Jovovich in Fifth Element who, in a role that's pretty much silent, I think, uh, does quite good there. Well, well yeah, she's not silent, but but she speak when she speaks for most of the film, she speaks a, a made up alien language. She only she, says a handful nailed. of things in English. Um, don't don't look directly into Luke Besson. That's a dangerous thing to do. But damn, this is a fun movie. Yeah, she's basically space now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, one thing that's um, I rented this video game once, and it's just so odd. It's called Apocalypse. Bruce Willis, they got his likeness, and he voices the main character, Trey Kincaid, which does sound wow, like the name of the Wow, that's an action 90s. movie name. That is an action movie name yeah, from right. the 90s. Was, and was apparently Clint's it's, uppercut taken? Was it? yeah, right. Uh, but this Apocalypse game for PlayStation 1, uh, from what I understand, I really should, should have played it. Um, it. It doesn't look that great. I was watching some videos of it. But that they got Bruce Willis's likeness and, and voice for a video game in the late 90s is pretty weird. And uh, also for something that wasn't full motion video and like the cover of the game has Bruce Willis's like computer generated head really large on it. Like it was a movie poster. So it feels like, and maybe they were trying to do a movie of this in the same time and they just couldn't get it developed, but cause it sort of feels like that, but it's just so strange. It, it was just a weird swing for, for him to make at this time. I think nowadays you see celebrities in video games a lot and it's no big deal, but then Unless it was maybe Wing Commander or Tim Curry or something on a computer yeah. game. To see it on a console game um, that, that wasn't based off a kid's movie or something was pretty strange. Uh, Breakfast of Champions, where he plays Dwayne Hoover, that's actually um, pretty neat. Like, it, it's not the best adaptation I have seen of Vonnegut, but to see Bruce Willis playing kind of a 
a nebbish weirdo in this character piece with uh, like Omar Epps and Nick Nolte is is really quite something. Yeah, I like Alan Rudolph as a director quite a bit, and it's got a great cast. Um, Alan Rudolph was kind of like an unsung hero of like the American independence post New Wave. Like he was like Robert Altman Jr. Basically. Yep. Um, and uh, the the cover poster it looks like a fake movie. Yeah, I mean this basically was direct to video. It was yeah. barely in theaters. People never rented this when I because I worked at Blockbuster Video at this time. Um, but it was one of those things that uh, what my newspaper class. Uh, one of the other writers, um, I forget his name. Uh, he he would sneak in R-rated movies and put them on the TV when the teacher wasn't in the room. So this huh. was one of them because it had some nudity and it was just pretty funny. Uh, funny guy. Anyhow, um, Thrasher, what's something you've been watching? I was just saying this poster is dripping oh, with irony. Chris Willis uh, thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess so. I guess something we we got we have to come around to because it comes right after Breakfast of Champions. Uh, we'll oh, yeah. skip over Armageddon because that's like that's that's a standout performance for Bashemi, not Bruce Wayne. That's a movie that he kind of slept walk through. But um, so Six Sense, which invigorated Bruce Willis's career, but then also spawned the major directing career of M Night Shyamalan. And they yeah, and the I mean, two so, of them had a yeah. really fruitful creative partnership that, that I mean that literally it continued to this day uh, and will end with Bruce's retirement. Uh, yes, and uh, what, what's weird with Sixth Sense is they marketed it like it was Shyamalan's uh, first movie, and it wasn't. It was his no. third. And they also, even though because the movie was such a hit, you you had Time Magazine with the the cover saying the next Hitchcock, which is quite a burden <laughs> to place on a young director with his first hit. Um, it's well, the other thing one that, of, that's kind of yeah. left out of all that is that, is that Shyamalan had been like a, a writer and a script doctor for years before this movie mm-hmm. came out. So he had a he had an established history uh, in Hollywood. Also like everyone's either the next Hitchcock or the next Tarantino. Video death loop is the show where we watch a short video clip on loop until we just can't take it anymore. Along the way, we'll try our best to make each other laugh and to hold out longer than the other guy. Come in on any episode. Video Death Loop, new episodes every Friday. Come on in, take a seat. What are you having? Well, of course I've heard of Hair at the Dogcast. That's the podcast that talks about video games and beer. For all of the latest gaming headlines, craft beer reviews, retro games, modern games, series retrospectives, console studies, and on occasion, extremely hungover discussions on the lore of Kingdom Hearts, make sure to check out Hair of the Dogcast, part of the HyperX Podcast Network. New this April from HyperX is the HyperX Clutch Controller. Get better control of your mobile gaming with its comfortable grip, directional pad, analog sticks, and shoulder buttons. This versatile controller can fit a variety of phone widths and can also connect wirelessly for use on tablets and PCs. Learn more and pick one up online at HyperX and HP.com, Amazon, Microcenter, Target, Best Buy, and many other fine retailers. Yes. Every now and then you hear the next Spielberg, but that's a recent yes. development. Only for J.J. Abrams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Next Spielberg you'd hear... I mean, if you heard the next J.J. Abrams, is that like a copy of a copy of a copy at some Pretty point? Pretty much, like it's, yeah. It, it, it's that, really that, hard. Like, I think he's, he's, yeah, he's good at making, 
entertaining movies. I'm not quite sure what his bailiwick is because so much of his stuff is, is remakes. And that's, I mean, that's part of what it is now. If you want a lot of money to do something, it has to be based off a well, established property. Want to call him the next Steven Spielberg, then I want to see him direct something like Saving Private Ryan or Schindler's List. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, like, that, I, yeah I bet he'd be good at it too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Something like, where he kind of stretch it out of his, uh, out of his, his standard thing. Uh, Bruce Willis also throughout all those times, he, he would do cameos and TV shows now and then when he did a, a three episode uh, stint on, on Friends in 2000, he was the first big celebrity to be on the show Friends, even though Friends was a big hit at the time. Right. After that, you saw really, I mean, Bruce Willis was a big star, but you saw, you know, a lot more big act, uh, film actors cameo on it after Bruce did it. It's interesting because, like, the way he's handled his celebrity is fascinating because, you know, he basically, you know, from Die Hard on, he's an established big star. Um, But, like, he never went into that, like, kind of, like, overly important kind of, like, high-profile shit. Like, I think his relationship with Demi Moore was, like, at its highest. And even then, he seemed like a cool guy. Like, they voiced them, they voiced characters in, like, the Beavis and Butthead movie, which I thought was really cool. Right, and he didn't talk, you know, he wouldn't really talk much about his his family or his politics. He was more of an old-school movie star in that way, where he just wanted to talk about the movie when you do the publisher's st- stuff. And I love it, yeah. And that's, um, I think, compared to now with the, the social media and all the reality shows and stuff where people want to tell you, you know, exactly where they're taking a shit every two minutes. It's, um, I think that's sort of refreshing and perhaps things could, I, I mean, it, it just gets frustrating when I see the, these clips of uh, a journalist and, and they, they try to ask all these gotcha questions to the actors and it's like, they're just there to promote the movie, man. Seriously though. Yeah. Like they don't want to answer questions like, uh, so could you relate to the character? Cause he had a DUI 30 years ago or something. And it's, yeah, uh, I know. Right. It's so fucking it's, stupid. It, right. And then people get surprised when they get pissed off and they can sell the coverage. That's neither here nor there. Um, Alex, what's what's one that, that jumps out? We just mentioned The Sixth Sense. The Sixth Sense. And, you know, I'm going to just go ahead and segue right into Unbreakable. Um, that, yeah, yeah. It's a movie that, like, when it came out, I didn't know what to do with it. Because it was like, kind of pitched as, like, a comic book hero movie when comic book movies weren't a fucking thing. And this is, like, a movie that, like has the tropes of like a superhero, but is not your average superhero movie. And I revisited it as an adult uh, a few years ago. And I'm like, this is fucking amazing. Like I was like, a, like a non-brand everyday superhero that is like your fuck again, is like your dad basically um, living in kind of like a fucking dumpy apartment in, in an American city. I'm like, this is, this is what I can do. This is what I'm on board with. You know what I mean? Like he is unbreakable. He has one little fucking kryptonite thing. Um, and then it also kind of like has a commentary on like obsessive fan culture as well. Like I think before that was a huge thing. Um, it's ahead of its time in that, in that way. Yeah. Like, you know, it's very fashionable to dump on I'm Night Shyamalan, but I mean, he's kind of doing some shit that's ahead of its time and holds up because that movie, like the effects and everything, I think it holds up quite well. 
Yes, I am. You got you got a great, great vulnerable performance from Bruce Willis. You got a great, uh, increasingly tense manic performance from Samuel L. Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But I think the other thing that really makes this movie stand out is you can tell that Shyamalan has a real affection for comic books to to the point where like there's a couple of sort of there's two sort there's two things that I love is that one. The movie isn't afraid to actually show you comic book art. Like a big, a big thing is that is that Samuel L. Jackson's character, he's an art dealer and he owns a gallery and he's doing a special showing where it's all original comic book art. And you get to see pages of comic books. And like he talks about what the art means and how the story flows, and that's great. But then there's also because I saw I saw this with my dad and my brother in the theaters when it came out, and there's a there was a one bit where we all three of us started laughing uncontrollably and no one else in the theater seemed to get it where, where Samuel Jackson is like in the, is like loitering in a comic shop. And there's the guy behind the counter who like looks like a typical comic shop guy. And (laughs) the, and you know, the guy's like, Hey, we're going to close. You're gonna have to leave soon, sir. And then like, you know, he goes, Oh God damn it. If you're jacking off to the Japanese (laughs) comics back there and we just exploded with laughter. (laughs) Because that was our comic shop. That was our local comic shop. Yeah, they had the nasty much. Japanese comics in the back. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it really, um, I mean, to give audience, or not audience, to, to give our listeners an idea, you know, this came out, Unbreakable came out in 2000. At that time, you had Blade, you had um, X-Men, the, the first one had come out. And and yeah, it, it still, the comic book stuff was a novelty. It didn't start having really the big... Um, Spider-Man, I think the the next year in 2001 is one of those that really kind of made the comic book stuff uh, explode with how much money it made. They started pumping out sequels. I, I think so. Like like Blade was was the first in that era in the late 90s and, and often gets overlooked. But but Spider-Man with the money it made, there was like, oh, we can make a lot of money with this. Let's do as many as possible and burn everyone out. It's um yeah, it was, it was quite something. Uh, I mean, geez, looking through it, Bruce Willis just did so much stuff. He and, produced uh, the Crocodile Hunter Collision Course movie. I did not know that. I know, right? Quite, yeah, he had a production company. He did stuff with that. And um, as we get to sort of the, the more recent, I say more recent, but it's like the last 20-something years of, of movies he did-ish, um, he started doing direct to video movies. And the first one I can find that was uh, at least released in the U S direct to video was assassination of a high school president, Ugh. which I I've never seen it. That's quite a mouthful of a title came out in 2008 with Misha Barton, Reese Daniel Thompson and Bruce Willis. And uh, this was more of like a, it looks like a kid's movie from the title, but, but anyhow, Bruce Willis started making a whole bunch of these uh, direct-to-video movies where he was paid a few million dollars to be on set for one or two days. He tends to show up in the beginning of these movies, in the end, and a little bit in the middle. They make it seem like he's the star, but he's often not really. And and he mixed these in with uh, still some, you know, big big features like uh, Expendables or the, the two Red movies. I mean, those are based off a comic book. But so much of what he pumped out, and, I, and when I worked at video stores, it was especially noticeable, were tons, like five direct-to-video movies a year. I mean, it's the kind of amount that 
they were trying to do what he could with his mental faculties, unfortunately, um, at the time that we we know that now. But it's just so it it does damage to your your brand, so to say, to just pump out all this stuff constantly, and it's the whole old uh, quantity over quality thing. Yeah, big time. Like, like I was saying, like you know, Dan, Bruce Willis was enough to get me to rent a movie or go see a film, like. The Jackal, I don't know shit about, you know, the Day of the Jackal or anything like that. I saw Guns and Bruce Willis, so I'm like, yeah, I'm fucking there. Um, not a great movie, um, unless you like seeing Jack Black's arm get blown off, which is kind of awesome. Um, again, like, something like, I remember, uh, what the fuck was that movie? Um, Gun Train uh, Striking Distance, I th- no, not Striking Distance, but... Um, it was after the 2000s, I think. Mercury Rising. You know, I rented that. I was like, oh, Bruce Willis, trained gun, protecting a kid, I think. Cool. Um, and then once the direct-to-video shit started happening, I'm like, okay, he's just doing this now, I guess. Like, it's like what happened to Liam Neeson, you know? Yeah. Um, Thrasher, what thoughts do you have? Well, on, on this, this particular late period in his career? Yes. I, in all in all honesty, I I don't know how to feel about it because I, and I've seen a, I've seen a few of these these direct video movies. Uh, I think I even talked about uh, oh hell which one I talked I know a I talked about one? one on a yeah it was a sci fi one uh, not not breach I think I talked about breach on the show because that's the one that I think is a Saban production. Cosmic um, Sin maybe no no it was I and I've seen that one too but I think breach is the one I talked about. <laughs> Um, okay. Okay. Like I've uh, my my wife has gone through a lot of these, and so I've seen a few with her. But like if because there's a lot of rumors surrounding these, and I don't like giving credence to rumors. But if the if the rumors are he he had his diagnosis and he knew his time in front of the camera was limited, so he took a lot of high paying easy work cranking these out to shore up his own finances and just make sure that he and his family had a nice stock of funds to see him through the last stages of his life and and for whatever the family needs, then okay, like, these movies are are, are generally crap, but he did them for the right reasons. There is another series of rumors that... His Bruce's aphasia is more advanced than we know, and that someone in his family or a crooked agent signed him up for these movies, and he doesn't know what he's doing in front of the camera, and he's basically being exploited to bring in all this money. And if that's the case, then fuck these movies. But unfortunately, I don't know enough to really come to a conclusion either way. And 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 I'm sure more stuff is going to come out as, as Bruce Willis advances in his retirement and there are retrospectives and, and whatnot. So so this this is something an issue, a, an issue that I might not be able to resolve until like a few years from now when all the information comes out. Right. And the way I see it is that yeah. he's got parts, he made money, if you get older and you get the work and you kind of just need the money and you just are, you know, if, if it's an easy pay, I can't, I can't object to anyone, um, you know, going in for, you know, a conscious sellout. I mean, at which point it, the, the business side of me is taking over the critic savvy side of me and just being like, I can't object to that. Well, they're not the contents any good, whatever. Um, and then every once in a while you get a Sin City. Well, you know, you know what it is, is a lot of people fail to understand is that 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 art is still a, often a job. And sometimes yes. there are things yeah. you do just for the money. 
Uh, and then there's some things you do right. just for you. And there's some things where you can have it both ways. But there's things where you can do br- a brilliant art and also rake in the cash are very rare. Right. But then you have like and, uh, Moonrise yeah. Kingdom and Sin City. And I'm like, those are great. He's great in them. Um, my inner 12-year-old boy loves Sin City to this day. And his Moonrise Kingdom was um, one where he, you know, made himself look very, very vulnerable and, and was mm. almost going back to a Death Becomes Her kind of role, like something quite, quite different. Not what you expect from Bruce Willis, but pretty good all, all the same. And, and you really haven't seen him. He didn't do comedy as much in his later years. So it was, it was good to see him to do some of that, but also have a, a character with a great bit of sympathy. I mean, some of the um, stories I, I was reading that was coming out from directors that worked with them on, on, uh, on the set of um, some of these direct to video things, he came out and he would fire his gun, not on cue. And he would do it two or three times, which is pretty um, dangerous. Uh, but, but no one got hurt. And uh, the most heartbreaking one I heard was uh, allegedly he said, he's pointing to the crew members and the actors. And he says, I know why you're here. I know why you're here, but why am I here? Oh boy. And if, if like you said, Thrasher, you know, it had really declined to that level. Is it, could you view it as elder abuse? Uh, sort of, or, but I agree. The reason he's doing it is, is right. You cannot begrudge. If a person wants to work constantly or is in the situation where, you know, I should just do what I can while I still can and, and get out and just, uh, live my life best I can with, uh, with, with the medical, the condition that's uh, taking over me. Like there, there's nothing um, wrong with that. I've, I, I don't think I've had relatives with aphasia, but I've had uh, grandparents with um, uh, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and, and it's just heartbreaking. It's, it's awful. Um, some of the last, um, the, oddly, some of the last stuff he's done that hasn't come out yet, he did, you know, he did two direct-to-video trilogies, like, in the past two years. They were filmed in the past, like, two or three years. Yes. Trilogy. Did you know this, Alex? No. Yeah, so, yes. So, one of them is um, Fortress, and it's not a remake of the Christophe Lambert uh, duology from the 90s-ish. Oh, it they're is, never going to remake that. I don't know. Fortress is such a generic title, number one, but yeah. I know, right? But the, the, the summary of this... Uh, I might have to watch it just because of the, the um, kind of work I do nowadays, but it's a Robert, an ex-CIA agent, lives in a hidden woodland resort that serves as a retirement community for former spies. He's a strange son. No, nope, nope. It gets worse. He's a strange son. Paul is a cryptocurrency entrepreneur who has run into trouble and needs to ask his old man for help. And unfortunately, Paul's plans aren't as secret as his father's location. So this, this is a trilogy. As far as setups go, the, the cryptocurrency connection to me is just bizarre, but this stars um, Bruce Willis, uh, Jesse Metcalf, and Chad Michael Murray. I haven't heard of the other two people um, aside from Bruce Willis. But this, this is a tri- this is a trilogy. Just the first one has come out. We're having Fortress Sniper's Eye come out uh, later this year, and then Fortress Three is is also coming out. The is that a the sniper third? crossover into the extended sniper verse? I, excuse me, Fortress Three. Uh, oh, Sniper's Eye. Um, uh, <laughs> might joking, as well with Tom Berenger or something. But uh, the other series have have you heard of this Thrasher called the uh, Night? As no. in K. Yeah, this one. It's um, it, it's so weird. This press release came out 
uh, November 9th, 2021. So not even about, you know, six months of this recording, more or less. And uh, the first movie is just called Night. It's not even out yet. There's not even box art for it. But it's a trilogy with the movies Night, Christmas Night, and Devil's Night. Um, stars Bruce Willis as an LAPD major crime detective, James Knight. Uh, again, that's a very 90s movie star name. And listen to this synopsis from the uh, press release. Uh, and, and this is from the same director as uh, Cosmic Sin. Are there any cryptocurrency one? entrepreneurs in this one? Uh, no, and maybe all movies should have, well, in the future, we'll have cryptocurrency entrepreneurs as as the uh, bad guys, the heroes, depending on who makes it. Uh, okay, so, so with... Are uh, you excited for this description, Alex? Oh, you bet. Yeah. With decades of description on the forest, LAPD major crimes detective James Knight, Bruce Willis, has seen it all. But the world around him is changing. Within, I mean, that means nothing by itself, Ooh. right? Uh, with an increase in organized bank robberies hitting the city, Knight tries to apply the old tactics but discovers modern problems in its way. What does that <laughs> even mean? Like pin numbers? Yeah, is is it pin numbers? Is it like uh, are there jokes about him talking to Alexa, like the, the speakers, or or is is, is there drones drone? in the movie? An Alexa drone. Yeah, and yet it says pouring his energy into work to avoid dealing with his personal demons, Knight finds a way to keep the city safe no matter what. I mean, I've read a lot of movie synopses, and mm. and that's so bland you can't even tell what. <laughs> Modern problems in his way, personal demons. I mean, these could. I know. I think it could be interesting for us to cover these series on the show in the not too distant future, just to see with this hindsight knowledge and and like. Yeah, yeah. Do they cut around Bruce Willis? Like I've I've heard in a lot of these ones, and um, I'm not. I'm going to be clear. I'm not making fun of the man, but just because he was on set so little, they'd often cut his monologues down to almost nothing, give the lines to other actors. And quite a lot of times it was his uh, double they'd be shooting. Um, and then right. they'd cut to his close-ups, right? And so that could also it, just be a money thing, too, sometimes. You never uh, know. Yes, and it's, it is not limited to these cheap direct-to-video stuff. Quite a lot of stuff with um, movie stars, it's usually the double that's being filmed and the movie stars on set as little as possible because, as the saying goes, time is money. Big um, time. Um, I just, I want to know more about this retirement community for retired U S intelligence officials. Like that sounds like a terrible like, idea. Like if it gets ambushed, like the collective, <laughs> the collective well, knowledge like, and security bingo? risk. Well, maybe it's like the village from uh, the prisoner. <laughs> it could be, or maybe it's like one of, I've seen some of these, um, one of my aunts has a, a, a beach home in a, it, where it's like not just a gated community, but it's like a, gated like miniature hamlet or something you have like stores and and malls and groceries Weird, all yeah. next to these condos in these gated areas like it's quite a uh odd microcosm maybe it's something like that i, I don't just, know but it's i just think it would be funny if they had like you know like guantanamo bay themed potlucks and shit like that oh <laughs> <laughs> or, 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 or you have like uh what do you call it you have an obstacle course with like the zip line, but it's themed of like, uh, oh, oh, look, you're, uh, this, this area is themed like Vietnam. This one's themed like uh, Iraq. This is themed right. like this, you know. They like, uh, they, they trade their lucky waterboarding bottles and stuff. Oh. I, I bet, I bet there's a, uh, a scene where like, because uh, it's a retirement community. Oh, oh, it's movie night. 
and they're showing James Bond or something, and they'd be they'll they'll be a scene of Bruce Willis like looking at the poster and rolling his eyes. Like I can't yeah, believe like, oh. like this guy. Like right. That, oh, it yeah, it does. A retirement community center for spies almost sounds like a premise that would be better for a comedy. Yeah, like a MASH style Hogan's Heroes type thing. Like it shouldn't be funny, but it is. Hey, copyright us. <laughs> and you know, sure. and, and you know what? You know what? It turns out they they all they all realize that what one of them, one of the people in this in this place is actually a Russian, a, so, a Soviet Union double agent. It doesn't matter that the Soviet course, Union doesn't yeah. exist anymore, but they yeah. decide to get the band back together to flush this commie <laughs> out. And he's like a very poorly done like Soviet mole, you know. Well, I think right. I think Maybe, that would be the irony yeah. is that he's he like he he literally did legitimately defect to the United States. So he's like been he's, on their side the whole time. Like he has a Gorbachev in the long game. Mark. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he has a, a chip implanted in him that has gone haywire. He's getting strange signals yeah i mean this is god i'm looking at the poster of this fortress movie this prison has no bars oh boy i guess it's not a very effective prison it, it runs maybe the prison uh, of the mind <laughs> so back to bruce willis though yeah oh, yes. um so so he, we i think we should talk about some some of like the weird anomalies in his career let's sure, let's sure. talk about the return of bruno Yes, let's. That's um, so. Bruce Willis loved music, loved uh, loved like R and B Motown standards, and created a persona called Bruno that not only had his own album, it had a uh, mockumentary. Yeah, I I wanted to. Uh, yeah, there's a Return of Bruno Bruno mockumentary where it's like as if Bruno. It's an hour long. It's like what if Bruno was a real guy and like this overblown influence he had on American blues music. It was made for HBO. It is not available on HBO Max. Ah, like a lot of yeah. Things. It um, it's kind of like a Forrest Gump sort of thing where he happens to influence all this stuff. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's no, um, this is spinal tap, right. But it's, it's trying to be that sort of a thing. Um, and it has real people like the Bee Gees and Brian Wilson, Ringo Starr, all this stuff. The funny thing is that, um, like the album did great in the UK. Like it was like number two, the return of Bruno. Right. No, it, it it charted in the U.S. Uh, the I think the one of the singles on there, and um, it's it seems I mean, like it was, almost it, any actor of a certain age tries to do their own album. This was big in the '80s and '90s, and that he had some success with his. I'm a bit surprised why he never did another one, but he got well, a lot he, of shit for it. He did. He did one in '89, and it was the last one he did called "If It Don't Kill You, It Just Makes You Stronger," and it was just it was you know more more Bruno stuff. Huh. Yeah, I didn't know that. I thought he yeah, was just like one. The the deck is kind of stacked against you inherently when you're, you know, an actor who wants to go over into music or like, it's like you know when Shaq raps, when Russell Crowe sings. Um, the same thing with Bruce Willis is that like even if it's good, you're gonna, you're everyone's kind of hesitant and kind of ready to cut you down. Although I gotta say, I, I gotta give him credit for calling the first album the return. 
of some yes <laughs> yes like there's a history and and it's funny because like yeah i mean yeah it was critically panned uh you know the, the, the music's not great but you can feel his enthusiasm for the material the the one thing that i always feel left out is that one it was done through motown records but two he used all these classic Motown musicians. Booker T. Jones is on a track. The Pointer Sisters are on a track. The Temptations yeah, yeah. are on a track. Like these are like he worked with some amazing R and B artists for this album, and I feel like they they, but they're whenever this album is discussed, it's like they don't even exist. But like they, they, those performers really deserve some credit. Yeah, yeah, um, that's a big deal. You, you talk about. Uh, anomalies in his career there's one that uh, it's kind of infamous for having a, a horrific uh, making of um that you know the, the behind the scenes was just pretty chaotic and uh, in fact there's a really good book of that called the devil's candy i am talking about i'm scrolling down because it's so early in his it's career bonfire of the vanities thank you bonfire of the vanities uh yeah the brian de palma joint Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, big, big budget, Brian De Palma thing, one of the best-selling uh, books of the, the late 80s. And it was kind of a movie that people said couldn't be made. And I think nowadays they do it as a miniseries. And it's one of those I'm kind of surprised they never remade. No, no, um, they do it as a streaming series, but they'd only get, like, through the first third of the book. Right. Even the first chapter. I mean, it's a, it's a dense book. I've read some of it. And it's... Um, you know, an epic story of different people all across the city. And I think uh, just having Tom Hanks in the lead and then Bruce Willis as kind of the other big part in that with Melanie Griffith, it's just, I think nowadays you do a different cast and it was all these people were pretty early and weirdly in their career. Um, you talk about trilogies and I'm surprised we haven't done this on uh, sequel cast two with Bruce. Uh, uh, with Bruce stuff, but the Look Who's Talking trilogy. He does the voice of Mikey the baby. Oh, yeah, yeah. that was a good cat. With, good with cat John Travolta. Right yeah. I guess, like, another kind of weird Bruce Willis outlier um, I was actually watching in preparation for this episode is Last Man Standing. Oh, good, have you good got, pick. Have either of you seen this? No. no, I've always meant to, but... So it's a cool. All right. So when it came out, let me see. Ninety. Is that Walter or, Hill? Six. I was. Yeah, Walter Hill. Yep. I was about ten. Um. So I saw Bruce Willis shooting people. Yeah, I'm fucking there. Um. And yeah, it was awesome then. And then rewatching it as an adult, it is a remake. It's basically Yojimbo, right? So they take Kurosawa's Yojimbo. So it's like not a remake of Yojimbo, but it was remade as Fistful of Dollars, as we all know. And then I think it's a remake of A Fistful of Dollars, but, like, meets Bad Day at Black Rock. So it's, like, Prohibition-era gangsters in, like, a desolate western town. But they're all still wearing, like, three-piece suits in, like, this, like, sagebrush American outpost in, like, a Texas border town. <laughs> and it's fucking weird. Um, so it's, like, basically, like, James Cagney meets John Wayne, you know what I mean? But with, like the sens sensibilities of Walter Hill and like John Woo level of gung fu. It's a weird fucking movie and a, with a great cast. You got Bruce Dern, uh, Christopher Walken and Bruce Willis is really good in it. Like I just remember, you know, I pause it at certain points and he's just like shooting this great glare at you and you're like, God damn, you're a fucking magnetic man. Like it, it's such a weird movie though. Like I just, I would recommend anyone to check it out. It's, it's got a lot of action. It's good and violent. Um, it's so weird though. 
I recall I, all the ex- huge explosions from the trailer. Yeah. So another another anomaly, and this used to be way more common in the late 80s uh, throughout the 90s. This was kind of the almost the end of it because it did happen once in, uh, or twice in the 2000s. But the Vanity Animated Series, Bruce Willis did an animated series called Bruno the Kid where the premise is he is the voice of an 11-year-old boy who is also a spy but no one in the agency he works for knows that he's a kid because whenever they communicate with him, he communicates back with a CGI adult Bruce Willis head, which looks really goofy, but in a kind of charming way, given the TV CGI at the time. Weird. And it, and it really is. It's just him as this. And, and the other thing is like, he looks like a nerdy little, little kid. Like it's almost a Dexter's lab type character. He's got glasses. He's got a bad haircut. But he has a Bruce Willis smirk, and that's uh, like I could totally, I could totally see the Bruno, the Bruno the Kid design look like being based on an actual childhood photo of Bruce Willis. Though unfortunately, I could not confirm this during my pre-search. Um, and some of the villains he goes up against uh, include like Castrato uh, <laughs> and uh, the evil chess player Booby Vicious. I guess based on Bobby Fischer. Um, I. I want to bring this up because of the CJ Bruce Willis and also because Bruce Willis sang the theme song. And so if that's a, yeah. if, like, look up the intro to the show online and, and Bruce Willis is really hamming it up and just going for it uh, in this theme song. But the other thing is I, so this aired in syndication uh, in my hometown uh, when it, uh, when it came out in, I think 96. So I saw a few episodes and there's one episode that has one of my absolute favorite jokes. So there's an episode where the villain Von Trapp kidnaps professor Weisenstein and Bruce is getting, or Bruno is getting his mission briefing and the information on Professor Weisenstein. Professor Weisenstein won the Nobel Prize for Science in 1988 for building a machine capable of reading anyone's mind anywhere on Earth. Professor Weisenstein won the Nobel Prize for Peace in 1989 for destroying his machine and all blueprints that <laughs> told you how to make it. Like I love that. <laughs> I love that just back and forth. He wins one prize for building something that can only be used for evil and it wins the opposite prize for destroying the invention. That's, that's good. Absurdist. Pretty sure. clever. Okay. Yeah. Uh, another outlier he did that was, um, controversial at the time was color of night starring Bruce Willis and Jane March. This was an erotic thriller, uh, back when basic good state kind of made that a, a thing for a bit. And there is an NC-17 sort of unrated version um, that just canceled itself out. But basically, they had to submit a lot of times to get an R, but the version on video had the extended sex scenes where I guess you could see Bruce Willis's penis that made it a very popular rental. Um, uh, yeah, it was like the most rented film for like two years or something like that. Mm-hmm. Better uh, call it I, Bruno Comes Again. Oh, God. Uh, I'm kind of curious to see this, but at the same time, like, it's it's an interesting outlier as far as the sort of movies that Bruce Willis did, and, and it shows that he uh, was fine and, and, and pushing himself. Uh, and although he did mainly action movies, he would do other stuff now. And then 12 Monkeys, you know, is another... That was pretty good. Uh, I like oh, that. Yeah. Uh, Terry I mean, Gilliam. Pretty, pretty good in it. The movie's one. great. Pretty intense. Um, uh, do you have a... Uh, I guess to wrap us up, Alex, do you have the last uh, kind of outlier movie that he did? 
Um, there's a lot we could talk about. Um, I know I referenced um, his performance in Sin City. I thought he was pretty uh, solid in that. Um, there's another one I think that doesn't get talked about very much, and I think it got kind of lost in the late '90s shuffle, and that was the Siege with uh, Del Oh yes, though, yep. directed by Edward yep. Zwick. Um, it was pretty cool, and I guess there's some controversy around it. I don't remember what. Oh, when the film opened, the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee came out against the film. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, no, I can see how that's offensive now. I haven't seen it since it came out, but... The but, idea, uh, I mean, I, I think the, the storyline's pretty strong, and I, I, it is one I've been meaning to rewatch to see just to see how it holds up today, but the idea is with the terrorism and all this stuff, the, the America, United States does basically what it did around the time of World War II, and has an internment camps, but in this case, it was just for um, uh, people of Middle Eastern descent. Yeah, now that I'm rereading the synopsis, I'm like, ooh, bully. This doesn't sound like it aged very well. I mean, man, Edward Zick, Zwick, excuse me, used to do such a big... Uh... Wait, he directed Jack Reacher 2? That's bizarre. Okay. Yeah, he's had an odd career. He did the last samurai. He like was that. doing the historical was... fiction things like Glory and uh, stuff like that. So that's right. Glory, the other bearded Civil War movie of the late eighties. What was the other one? Gettysburg. Oh yes, I forget Gettysburg. So many beards, so little time. Gettysburg had a sequel. Excuse me, prequel, but it's neither here nor there. Okay, uh, Thrasher. Last words on Bruce Willis. Uh, so I, I, we talked about how he did have a sense of humor about himself, and that was a, a real saving grace. And, and that is true. Shockingly, he only hosted SNL two times. Oh. Uh, oh, once okay. in 1989, and then again in uh, 2013. Uh, but uh, you know, we we did that whole Seagram's wine cooler at the beginning, and so that that was based on a real television ad that Bruce Willis did, where it's just him and like a backing band on a porch, sort of like or a balcony or somewhere just sort of casually goes, Seagram's wine cooler. And so when he hosted SNL, they did this brilliant sketch <laughs> that was mocking both that commercial, but also the return of Bruno, where it's a, a, an ad for a new Bruce Willis album, like Bruce Willis, a man and his music. And it's just him singing about products he wants to buy. So he's just out there, aluminum siding yeah yeah put aluminum <laughs> on your roof yeah yeah <laughs> and it's so great it's well worth seeing it's just so goofy but just that he the fact that he was game for that he was game to mock an ad he that he himself was mocked for he was game to mock an album he made that was critically panned uh, and not a great commercial success in the united states that's great like that that that's what's great. That's that's really what's great about him is that he was always moving forward and that he was willing to sort of have fun with the public's perception of him. You know, like whenever you see like a, a joke at Bruce Willis expense, you could almost imagine him laughing along with it. Like there's an episode of, of uh, Animaniacs where they go by a planet Hollywood and Bruce Willis just gets on stage, starts playing the harmonica, and just starts going, yeah, yeah, rock and roll, yeah. And, like, everybody starts, like, pulling their hair out and running away. I could totally see him seeing that cartoon and laughing. Yeah, it's it's funny because, like, I remember I saw this, like, blip on entertainment um, on the E-Channel or whatever, 
and they were talking about Bruce Willis's rock persona, Bruno. And they're like, and like when he's in character, people like can only address him as Bruno, not Bruce. I'm like rolling my eyes. I'm like, he's a fucking guy. But then finding out that he has a sense of humor about it, like takes that stink off completely, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, he did uh, a lot of work. I've only seen it. I don't know, maybe a few dozen of, of his uh, several damn near 100 credits, if not more, in acting in movies, not to mention, you know, cameos, stuff like Loaded Weapon 1, or... You're right. I, I like that you pointed out that he likes to send himself up. And... It is... Uh, I'm looking through some quotes of his from IMDb. And uh, I, I like this one. I think that we might end on, on this note uh, from uh, Bruce Willis, uh, according to IMDb. So I'm, I'll presume this is correct. Look, this is my face. If it's a curse, it's a curse. And I never said, hey, I'm smirking, America. Look at me. Love me. It's a little hook they caught on, and they found a way to turn it against me and make it some negative thing. But that's how I smile. Nothing I can do about it. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it's uh, very human. And oh, that's another one. Jeez, he just did so much stuff. Four rooms. He did the segment yeah. directed by Tarantino in uh, what's a pretty odd anthology film that doesn't quite work. Uh, and he would also do an anthology film that Tarantino's related to with uh, Grindhouse. Pulp Fiction. Yeah, I know. I'm surprised. Oh, and Grindhouse, of that. course. Yes, doing the Robert Rodriguez uh, thing, playing a, a hammy bad guy. Oh, he's great. Great, too. great stuff. So, yeah, uh, Bruce Willis, I hope he has a, a long and, and, and happy life after his retirement from acting. Um, I have a sneaking suspicion he might pop up now and again in things, but maybe not. Who knows? And uh, the, just the, the statement his um, family made on Instagram said that Bruce liked to live it up and he'll continue to do so. I think it was just a very nice sentiment. Yeah, I like that. That's cute. Well, like I said, I feel I feel like we're going to see him get a lifetime achievement award at, at the yes. Academy Awards next yes. year, quite possibly. And it should have happened by now, right? Um, frankly, for for all he's done. So for those of my cats trying to bite my ankles off, so I better go feed them. But um, but for uh, sequel cast uh, two and friends, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. This is Alex. Saying. A salute to Hasty Pudding Theatrical's Man of the Year for 2002, Bruce Willis. No time for kids games, no time for girls, helping the good guys, saving the world, call up Bruno!